to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Simon. And I'm Stuart. We're both property people running our own businesses. This podcast is just us chatting, as we often do, about anything and everything property. This week, I think, Stuart, you're going to kick us off with a quite remarkable headline that you've seen recently. Yes, it was about the number of transactions in February, because it kind of staggered me. So I, I know we're sort of into April now, but obviously the figures are, are coming out. But it's this, the line is that more homes were bought and sold in Mar uh, in February than in any February for the last fifteen years, which I just found quite staggering when you think about <laughs> where 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 we've been and, and where we are. Exactly, we're. In February, particularly, the housing market was working under a fairly strict lockdown. It it was still open. There were viewings permitted, but they had to follow pretty strict COVID precautions. And I talked, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago, maybe, I can't remember when it was, about my own COVID viewing experience. And, and it is very restrictive. It is limiting in what you can, can do while you're looking at a property. And yet, it's not been slowing people down. And presumably, given sort of other pressures um, around meeting stamp duty, holiday deadlines and things, yeah, the, the market as a whole has, has just been accelerating. It's incredible. Yeah, it's. It, uh, I should point out that this is the transactions data from HMRC, which we're, we're making an assumption is coming from stamp duty numbers. So in terms of transactions... For me, that just translates into sales, how many actual sales have taken place. And the data is saying that 122,840 transactions took place, which was 48% higher than February 2020 and 23% higher than January 21. So year on year, almost 50% higher. Uh, and month on month, you know, or a, a quarter higher, which is staggering, yeah. isn't it? Considering we it are is. in lockdown or were in lockdown at that stage. And when you compare back to February 2020, we were not in lockdown at that point. And in fact, while while there were some rumblings of, of pandemic concern, nothing had actually sort of really kicked off at that point. So we're comparing a relatively normal open market that was at that time supposedly going through a, a Boris bounce to a full-on lockdown, o- open and running, but under strict lockdown precautions market. And yeah, it's gone up by, by what did you say, 48% did you say? Yeah, year, yeah, year on year. I mean, that's just, just incredible, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it just shows you how much pressure, I think, the stamp duty holiday created. And desperation for people to actually get on and, and meet the deadline. Yeah, and and we're seeing that anecdotally. But before we sort of move on to to the stories I've heard, and obviously people know I'm selling at the moment as well. But if that surge in in February has surpassed the transaction levels in 2007, which was the biggest time of growth just before the the financial crisis of um, the credit crunch back in 2008. So, you know, I think all of that puts it into context, as you were saying, because that was my first thought. Like, we are 50% higher year on year than, a, than what would be classed as an inverted commas normal 
February, even though we're in lockdown. So it's, it, I mean, it was just, I find it quite staggering, really. So not, not only higher than, than last year, but higher than uh, a previous peak year that was heading in to, uh, or that was part of a boom, in fact, the tail end of a boom, just prior to a bust. So, so do you think this uh, hyperactivity is, is the, the, well, part of a boom that we're, we're going to see the end of soon and a subsequent bust? Well, it'd be interesting, won't it? Because you and I have discussed this many times, both uh, on the podcast and off the podcast. But once the, the deadline drops of, of June the 30th, and we know it then tapers down for a further three months, so I, I, can't, I can't see everyone coming into the market just saying, OK, and then, you know, the, the holiday stops, so let's just walk away. Because I think once you've started these cycles, or once you're in the, the buying mindset or the moving mindset, I don't think that just changes. And, and maybe that's where the tapering will have an effect. But be interesting to see how long it continues and and I guess we'll only know the truth in that once there is no propping up of of the of the purchase with the stamp duty relief. Yeah, and the uh, well, we've got the stamp duty holiday fueling sort of deadlines for for transactions to take place. We've also got really weird effects from the pandemic and lockdowns and furlough and people losing their jobs and other people having spare cash sitting around because of not commuting and things like that. So it's created all sorts of strange market situations uh, around that. Some people have got more money and some people have got less money. And all of that's got to shake out yet. Assuming things settle down as this year goes on and sort of settle down from a pandemic point of view. And those uh, oddities in in life... (laughs) also gradually settle down. I think that's sort of roughly, maybe, coincide with the stamp duty holiday coming to an end. And that will also coincide with the end of the year, which is traditionally a, a slowing time for the property market anyway. So I think we're probably going to carry on in sort of boom type market situations for the next few months, six months maybe. But then as we head into the end of this year, Reality is going to be getting back to normal. People are going to be working out where they are. Some people will, who have been better off, will probably go back to, to a bit more how they were. And the people who are, are really badly off from, from the pandemic are going to sort of work that out a bit more and, and be in a, a harder situation. Uh, rental evictions and things like that are going to come through as well and, and hit people more with the, the debt that's been built up. I think all of that together is going to start at least slowing things significantly for the end of the year. And then I, I think the, the outlook for next year, for 2022, is a lot more questionable. I think it's, it's too far out to, to make any real predictions. But yeah, I, I, think we're, I think this is going to be a good year for the property market in terms of pricing and demand and transactions. And next year is probably not going to be as good, but, but we shall see close to the time. So do you, do you think I'm talking nonsense or, or do you reckon that sounds reasonable? I, don't, I certainly don't think it's nonsense. I think it sounds, yeah, sounds reasonable. I, we, we just don't know, do we? We've experienced times that none of us has ever experienced before. I think for me, the the question mark is is over how we do actually come out of the pandemic and what, what that looks like, because as we know, it's not going anywhere, is it? It's It's going to be around now. So it's about you know, vaccinations and how that works and 
and and at what stage can we return to a semblance of normal living because i've got a friend in australia and he's you know they're talking about you know air travel not really happening for several years and so i think they're talking about it in real terms although uh, interestingly i was reading an article yesterday about the fact that uh, they're now calling it aussie wood because so many a-list movie stars are flying to australia because essentially it's just life as normal out there because they've essentially yeah, managed to fend off coronavirus yeah they've done really well at getting everything under control haven't they yeah and, and yeah hence they're now living with with very few restrictions but still some on on air travel so that, that's interesting especially for this area which is very airport driven in its economy so if, if air travel stays low for years to come it's going to going to have an impact around here yeah and if that Again, there are so many different scenarios that you can think about. Even just talking about that, I'm thinking, well, if if you can't travel as much as you used to, then it's it's going to still remain, you know, be very important where we live in terms of the physical environment, location. So that that could help the market. So yeah, we don't know. But the the, the other thing I was going to talk about was the the anecdotal. So someone that I work with was talking about her flat. Uh, sorry, her house. She's got a three bed house. And they're looking to sort of relocate within a, you know, within a short radius. But it was the, I think the last day of March, which was a Tuesday, they decided they would put their property on the market. And she put her property on the market on the Tuesday. By the Thursday, so just at the start of April, they had 18 viewings booked in. I haven't, I haven't caught up with her yet. 18 viewings in two days for a three-bed property. And, we're, and the property, obviously, I don't want to give all of her information away, but <laughs> let, let's, just say it's, let, let's just say it's around the stamp duty thresholds. It's, you know, in, in the ballpark. Some, so that, that may have an impact. But I just think how phenomenal that is for, for, a, for a house of what I would still consider significant value, that there is that much interest. And um, yeah, we need to catch up with her about you know, how many offers came out, but they're hoping to get you know more than asking price within two days. Yeah, I mean that just shows it's an, an, an anecdotal story, just confirming how much demand there is in the right area, at least. Mm. I saw recently, um, I think it was the property hub guys said that. In fact, I'm sure it was all over the place but that's where i heard it from that uh, the right have had over nine million hits in a single day from people obviously looking for for properties i mean it's right move those across rentals and uh, and purchases and things but but nine million views uh, or searches hits to, to the website so it's searches and then looking at individual properties that's a lot of properties being looked at yeah uh, and just on that, actually, uh, there, was, there was something else I was reading that said Zoopla, after the, uh, the budget was made, the, the week after, the number of visitors that went on to make inquiries, what, that, what they class as demand, had gone up by 25% just in that week. So if you f- imagine that's in the first week and we think about that trending, that just... Yeah. So it's the, all those people who thought, oh, missed the stamp duty holiday window, now suddenly realise, ah, it's been extended. Right, quick, <laughs> let's, let's go and get on with our property search. But it's, I think it's very interesting that while there are lots of people searching for properties to buy, somehow there seem to be fewer people, or there seems to be an imbalance between that and the, the people 
putting properties up for sale because there still seems to be much higher demand to buy than, than there is to sell. So presumably there's quite a lot of people trying to move out of rental into purchased property because otherwise I don't quite I don't quite understand how that imbalance could be. I suppose people um, perhaps moving out of living with parents or if they've been a couple and they've broken up or something like that. There, perhaps there, there are other situations, I suppose, as well as, as just graduating from, from rental to, to purchase. Mm. I, I wonder how long this level of demand can, put, can sort of continue. Is, is there, are we going to reach a peak number or a, a, reach a limit on the number of people who who are in this situation and are able to to purchase the property and interested to purchase the property, especially as prices go up. I assume that's that's going to reduce the number of people who can purchase. Or, or is there effectively an, an infinite supply uh, of people waiting to, to come through and discover that they want to buy a property? And if there is, well, I'm assuming there is not an infinite supply. So there, there must be a limit to the number of people. Uh, so when are we going to hit that limit? How, how many more weeks and months of increasing demand can we can we see in the property market before it starts dropping off yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's yeah i i i just thinking about you know what what the government's done because i i mean as 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 we're talking about this i'm obviously thinking about what this means for us as as investors us as developers and i think yeah i think there there is always going to be need for for rented properties whilst people have to uh, save what's required or, or work work through what's required because the other the other stat that I was reading about recently was just about the fact that um that a lot of buyers now have more equity which means they're coming from obviously existing houses so there so there is a bit of a gap there where people can aren't going to be able to afford because obviously if you're not in a property and don't have equity you're not going to be as close to the front of the queue with lenders as someone that's got a significant amount of capital cash to put down. So, so you know, someone that's good, that can get a 60% loan to value is going to be far more, far more attractive to a bank than than, defer, than a, a, someone like me at the moment that, that might want 85% or 90% because obviously the risk's much higher with, with someone like me than it would be if someone's going to put 40% down as a deposit. I think with prices increasing as they seem to be at the moment. So actually, I mean, I, I suppose lo- lots of people are saying that the property market at the moment is very, very local. And there are lots of areas that are seeing prices actually, or and demand and prices drop. So for example, non-prime central London. So so the, the sort of high-end central London, I believe is still seeing reasonable demand and, and prices holding. But sort of your more more standard if you like living accommodation in central london is dropping in price and the demand doesn't seem to be there and yet outer london and home counties and southeast and stuff huge demand prices are definitely going up and i'm seeing properties come onto the market around here that are perhaps coming on at hundred thousand pounds more than i might have expected a a year or year and a half ago Mm. and that's I, I think some of those ones at that sort of range are probably a little unrealistic, but but it's still a big difference, both in terms of obviously the, the percentage rises, which I've seen some people quoting sort of twenty percent or more 
increase in a year, which is just, just crazy on its own. But also in terms of the actual cash increases, which are also crazy amounts. And this is, this has got to stop people being able to afford them before long. Yes, if you're coming from an existing property and you've got equity, you, you can extract that, extract that equity and then put, roll it in as a deposit, which you can then leverage further against. But there's still a limit. And lots of people are not in that situation of having lots of equity to, to put forwards the first time buyers or they're, they're in a, a lower end property that has not increased in, in value as much as sort of some of the higher end ones. So it's, yeah, there's got to be a limit to this. There's got to be an end to it at some point. But I'm not sure how close to it we are. And if it's still some way off, is this an ideal flipping market? Should, should you be going out and buying a property now as quickly as you can with the intention of selling it again in six months? Do you, do you think that's, do you think that's sensible? Well, you're talking to a man that, that wanted to buy a property and sell it in six months. And I bought that property in October 2019, and we still got that property. So my view on that is probably a more cautious one than it might have been in the past. I, I still have the same view, which is, as a property investor, unless yeah, unless there's some real indicators in the market, or or you know the local market so well that you just think this isn't this isn't the right time. That you know everything's individual. But for me, if I'm looking to do a project. Provided the numbers work, and if I've done the, you know, I hesitate to say due diligence because in the property world we hear it so much now, but if we've done the right work and we think that our forecast value is the right one, then I think the time to do it is always now. I think if waiting is, is, is you know, you and I have talked about trying to time the market, and I just think it's a, it's a fool's game. Um, and, and this is, you know, this could digress us into the other conversation, which is I always hear people talking about which areas are best. And I think that's fine if you are going to do the six-month slip, uh, flip, a six-month flip, <laughs> it could be a Freudian slip. <laughs> but there are so many other factors involved, you know, as I've experienced personally, that if, if you're happy with the development, as in the purchase price, and you think that your forecast price is right, based on current evidence, then... And then she go for it. Unless we think there is going to be a crash in mid-year, but we've just talked about that. We, you know, the, the, the stamp duty threshold runs until September, depending what part of the country you're in. You know, if you're in the north part of the country, up to 250K, you're still good anyway. So I, for me personally, and I am probably more of a glass, glass half full person in this anyway, but I think the longer you wait, the market changes. So. As we've said before, if you, if you wait because you think, oh, the market's going to dip a little bit, fine, it will, but so will the end value. So it's, it's one of those, I think you have to look at each case on its own merits, unless you think there is going to be a cataclysmic event in, in the chicken little mould. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, the sort of flip of that, to, 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 use another, to use the same word in another sense, is that I'm looking to purchase the moment for long-term rental but i'm seeing prices going up and i'm thinking in the longer term that they might come down a bit again maybe in another year so should i should i wait should i not buy now but perhaps hold off and buy in 12 months 18 months time 
And as you said, I think I, because, because in this area, rental demand is going up along with purchase demand. So it can be difficult to find good deals. It can be difficult to, to get in fast enough to, to find a property to actually buy that the numbers still work. So yes, the purchase price has gone up. Yes, I'll have to put in more deposit and that may mean that I can only buy one property at the moment rather than the two that I might have liked to do at this sort of time. But they still work from a from an ROI point of view because the rents have also gone up. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm still thinking, despite my slight concerns about the, the mid to longer term prospects, I'm still thinking that, as you say, if the numbers work, today's the day. And you, you're thinking in terms of like 10 years. So if you buy this property, the likelihood is you're going to have it for about 10 years. Yep. However, during those 10 years, I will probably have to remortgage it. And if I mistime that remortgage and it's gone down in value, it, it can still create problems. Um, which is then, of course, another it's a big question when you're buying a property now. How long do you fix for? Is is fixing for two years and getting a lower rate best, even though perhaps that might land you in the middle of a of slight dip in prices and then might find that your loan to value is, is degraded? Or, or should you fix for five years, pay slightly more on the interest rate, but hopefully maybe ride out that dip if it happens at all? Lots of decisions. There are lots of decisions. I, I think, you know, there's pros and cons to each, but originally we were talking about flips and I th- I come to the same conclusion, which is if, it, if the numbers look right, do it. If you're talking about longer-term buy-to-lets, if the numbers look right, do it. I think the, the two-year, five-year fix is is a good thing to call out for anyone thinking about it because it can it can cause a problem when, when remortgaging. The likelihood is that in a two-year time, you know, if you, you've consistently paid the mortgage, the property values... You know, have they dropped more than 5% in a period like average? They haven't, I don't think. You know, in- but, but then look at the, the last year. 10 to 20% price increases or, or property value increases in a year. That's pretty much unheard of as well. Number of transactions up 50-odd percent. Also unheard of. So perhaps the other side of this this big upwards trend is also a, a sharp downwards trend. <laughs> yeah, I, I think with with loan to value, my point is though. So typically for buy to let, I mean, I'm usually looking at eighty or eighty five percent. But for a, for a standard buy to let, you might be looking at seventy five percent. But I think even on those sorts of values, likelihood is for for most investors, you're, you're going to be adding some value to the property in terms of aesthetics, but also the value is. That it's rented, it's been rentable, and, and assuming you've got that, I haven't experienced. I mean, I've got two mortgages actually where we have just finished on the fixed terms. In fact, it's the further borrowing that's finished on the fixed terms, where now the borrowing is greater than the than the original valuation. So th- there's two properties. Let's just say so both were were mortgaged at eighty five percent. But based on the bank's current valuation, they haven't done an actual valuation, but based on their desktop valuation, they're saying, well, actually, the borrowing you've currently got comes in at 86% and therefore we don't have a product for you. 
So that that is just highlighting what the point the point that you've just mentioned. Now it just so happens that this is on the further borrowing. So looking at that particular case, these are presumably properties in your your sort of main investment area in the southwest. So I'd be interested to know, just anecdotally, what's the market actually doing down there? I've mentioned a bit about Red Hill already, where, around where I am, looking to invest and, and how things seem to be going up, up and up around here. But, but yeah, what, what's it doing down there? It's The southwest hasn't changed much, to be honest. Well, well, I say that, it's a big area. So some of the areas are increasing. So I know, I think Devon's increased, Cornwall. Uh, it's funny, I was looking at this recently. Uh, in terms of the areas, the area I'm in is, has always been fairly static. So it, it has varied, but the, the, again, the anecdotal evidence has been a lot of people moving out. So down into the southwest. But the area I've, I've moved into in terms of investing has always remained fairly static. And I've kind of accepted that because my primary driver was around cash flow. Obviously, I am looking at capital um, growth, but it was primarily around. Uh, cash flow but i think it, i think over i forget the actual figures but every sort of year or so we were looking at sort of like five percent just very inc- incremental growth the difference for me is is obviously that i tend to add a f- significant amount of value into the properties that we're going into most of them so yeah your value increase comes from the work you put in rather than from the natural movement of the market yeah so I haven't yet approached the uh, the further borrowing challenges because at the moment the difference to me isn't huge. But I think it's a really important point that you've mentioned out because if you mentioned because if you've if you did that and that was on your main borrowing and your main borrowing had exceeded what the loan to value was of, on the original valuation. I know this, is, this gets a bit technical when you're talking about it, but if, if you'd borrowed at eighty five percent, but based on a bank's devaluation of your property it now improved to 90 that means you know they're called like zombie mortgages right because you can't you can't do anything with them exactly you're stuck on the standard variable rates you're stuck on a standard variable rate which which i i have through my own poor administration been on once or twice for for a month or so and i can tell you it makes a huge difference a huge difference yeah, I mean, typically you might be looking at um, interest rates changing from, I don't know, 3% maybe up to 5%, maybe even more. Try six for mine. <laughs> and it was, and I know it sounds really simplistic to say, but, and you and I have talked about this before, but it made such a big difference from, if you imagine that, that 3%, you know, that's, uh, we yeah, did I mean, talk about it's this. doubling the mortgage effectively, isn't it? Yeah. And it did because I, I remember just looking at my statement and just you know literally tears coming out of my eyes. My eyes were watering, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god!" You know, so next next call was straight to the bank. So we do have to be mindful of that. I think bringing this back around to our conversation, my my view is is I tend to go for the two years, but that's because of my strategy. But that's because typically I'm adding on suites. You know, in the house I've just done, we've. We've actually repainted the front of the house. We've put new doors in. So we are, we, we, we're attacking it from all sides. You know, curb appeals increased as well as the, the internals. So I have greater confidence that in two years' time, even aside from what I've just said, 
I have greater confidence that we'll be there or thereabouts. And the reason I have that confidence is because my strategy is based around multi-living, about co-living. So the valuations are sometimes slightly different, not always bricks and mortar, because they are looking at revenue. They're looking at the, the rentals in the property. But I, I think it's a really good shout that, I, you know, what you've raised for people to be aware of, particularly now. Yes, indeed. It's on your HMO front, yeah. I think it's where you can get a, a commercial valuation based more solely on rent that obviously sort of helps alleviate some of that risk from from fluctuating property values. But yeah, and when you're looking at residential mortgages, residential residential buy to let mortgages, the the value of the property is is still a, a very big element of it. Mm. I think there are there are risks there, and, and you, you do need to be aware of them. Yeah, I, I know we're out of time, but and, and it's probably another conversation we'll have another day. But I, I, I'm starting to get quite passionate about, particularly when we look in the property circles, is that we all get hung up on recycling our money. Well, I say we all, most of us, because because it's such a great prospect, isn't it, that we can take some of our money, invest in an asset that then gives us all of our money back and possibly a little bit more and is generating revenue for us. Who wouldn't want that? We all, well, I would assume we most of us want that. And we can get hung up on that. And I I certainly can, and I have. And I'm sort of now getting a bit passionate about helping people to understand that if the numbers work now, yes, it would be great. But if you could get it at 75% loan to value or even 80% loan to value, your tolerances are just a little bit higher and just gives you maybe a little bit more scope if, you know, you know, God forbid, if things don't quite pan out in a couple of years' time, at least you've got a bit of a buffer where in two years' time you might not have to start digging into your own pockets or the, the property itself isn't generating any income. And actually, we did have this on my first, very first investment property, which was my wife's. We were actually putting money into that property. So we owned the property. We had a buy to let on the property. We had someone in the property paying rent, yet we still put £100 into that mortgage every month. That, that's not an investment. <laughs> <laughs> not for us. It certainly wasn't for us. I think it was for the bank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. But, uh, but, and, but, and I would say, just to defend myself before anyone thinks, blimey, this guy must be an absolute idiot. We, we did that because at the time, this was, funnily enough, around the time of the financial crisis, around 2007, 2008. And I, I personally just didn't feel it was the right time to, to sell it because that was, my wife will disagree with me. This is a, a constant battle we have, but she wanted to sell it. And I said, look, let's just hold on to it. Yes, we're going to have to put money into it, but I think we should just try and, you know, just get through this sort of choppy, choppy waters of the, and thankfully for me and my marriage, it proved to be a good decision. <laughs> Was that a repayment mortgage you were on, on at that, that time? No, it wasn't. No, it was interest only. Really? Interest only? And you still had to put in more than the, the rent that was achievable? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was painful. It was painful. Every month I winced when I had to put my hand in my pocket and put, you know, top up a, for, to pay a mortgage. But that did only last several months, probably about several months before... Uh, before the market started stabilising itself and the banks were willing to come back to the table and say, yeah, bit bit like it's been several months ago, you know, mid-2020 mid, mid when the banks just didn't know and they were downvaluing everything. 
Yeah, that's an interesting point. I remember talking about all the down valuations that were happening. And yeah, now look at the market. Wow. <laughs> yeah, well, I know we're well over, but we we did talk about that. So the property that I just developed, I, I think we must have talked about this, but yeah, the property that I just developed, which was valued about three years ago at around 240. And since then, and, that, and we'd done some work on it then, it was valued at 240. I bought it for just under 200. There, since then, I spent a crap load of money on it, five on suites, really nice uh, design-led property. And I'd actually had someone, I paid for someone to independently to come in and value it because I was just keen to know. So I thought I'd invest the 500 quid. And, and he, he put it in my ballpark. Let's just say it was around the 300 mark. Anyway, the bank's valuer came around, actually called me a couple of times, very nice chap, went around to value it. He valued it. And when it came back via the bank, he valued it at 240. So even though I'd owned it for a few years, and that, this was from the same bank, that bank had already valued it at 240. I've just spent in excess of, let's say, 50,000 pounds on it. And he decided that it was still worth exactly the same as it was two years ago. And that was... Was this last year? This was back end of last year. So we're talking... Yeah, October, November time. And that's the point, you know, the same as sort of 2007. So he wasn't willing. Yeah, everyone was still feeling a bit shaky around that time, weren't they? Yeah. So I then had to get it to go with another bank. And I don't know if I've told this story. Maybe we can tell this on the next podcast. But basically, I went to the... I don't think I have said this on the podcast. So I went, had to go to Land Bay instead of Kent Reliance and went with Land Bay. They sent the valuer out. The valuer called me up. It's the guy that I'd paid independently to go out and do it for me, <laughs> who I just so happen to have a really good relationship with. And that has no bearing on it because he's a, he's, a he's, he's a professional that's been in the industry for 40 years plus. So, But it was just a moment where I was like, oh, thank God, because I knew that he would, worst case scenario, value it at the bottom end of the high valuation, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> that works better. <laughs> yeah. All's well that ends well. Indeed. Speaking of which, <laughs> we've overrun. <laughs> we, we must bring this podcast to an end. So thank you very much for, for listening. I hope you've enjoyed being a, a fly on the wall to our, our property chatter, talking about some of the recent property news. And if you have enjoyed it, please let someone else know about it. And most importantly for us at the moment, it would be fantastic if you could leave us a, a rating or review in whatever podcast listening system you, you use. If you'd like to find show notes and links to things we've mentioned, those can be found at thebusinessofproperty.com. And Stuart and I will talk to you again next week. Yeah.